0: If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 12. Uh, John chapter 12, we're going to be continuing in our series through the book of John. We're going to be looking at verses 37 through 50 this morning. John 12, 37 through 50. So let's read that together. We'll be reading from the ESV version this morning. It says this. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him, in him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me himself, he has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Well, nothing says Happy Mother's Day like a message on judgment, right? <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into it today. Well, George Whitfield was an instrumental person in the Great Awakening in the 1700s. And Whitfield, he actually became really good friends with Benjamin Franklin. And their friendship began in Philadelphia in 1739 when R- Whitfield came through for a revival service. And what was fascinating is their friendship lasted about 30 years until death. And during the course of their friendship, Benjamin Franklin was actually the primary publisher of all of Whitfield's sermons and journals. And 45 times, Whitfield's sermons were reprinted in Franklin's newspaper, the Philadelphia Gazette. And eight different times, an entire sermon filled the front cover of that newspaper. Franklin helped Whitfield print and publish thousands of sermons. But their friendship extended beyond business. Whitfield, whenever he was in Philadelphia, would often stay at Benjamin Franklin's home. And they built a really neat kind of friendship. And throughout that friendship, Whitfield would share his faith with Benjamin Franklin. But Franklin, after years and years of friendship and Whitfield sharing countless times his faith, Franklin never responded in faith. In fact, Franklin in his autobiography actually wrote this. He said Whitfield used to pray for my conversion, but he never had the satisfaction that his prayers were heard. So what do we do with that? Like, Franklin heard the gospel hundreds of times, no doubt, from Whitfield, one of America's greatest evangelists, right? He heard the gospel over and over again, yet was completely unmoved by it. In many ways, this is exactly what is happening in our passage today that we just read. The crowds, in particular, the Jewish crowds that Jesus had been speaking to for three years, they'd heard his words, they'd seen his miracles, they'd seen his wonders, they'd seen the signs. And what did verse 37 of our text tell us? It said, they still did not believe in him. This has been the theme of the book of John as we've been going through this over the last year, the theme of John has been that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Yet after seeing all of these public miracles, the crowd still did not believe. So in our passage today, John is, is giving warning for those who have unbelief. That there is judgment from God of hardening of hearts that, that could take place, and ultimately people will face judgment one day. See, Jesus talked a lot about judgment in his ministry, actually. He talked about hell, actually, way more than he did about heaven. The idea of judgment, though, it's, it's funny when you think about this. Like, the idea of judgment is a pretty unpopular topic in our society, right? Like, you, you hear it quite a bit even in normal conversations. Like, hey, man, don't judge me. Don't, hey, hey bro, don't, don't judge me for that. Or, you know, I, I don't want to be judged for doing that. You hear that from people. Any of you guys have a uh, membership at Planet Fitness out there? Yeah, and, and it says, if you go in and Planet Fitness, it says on the wall, this is the judgment-free zone, right? And I get what they're saying, but that's out there, right? But when it comes to Christianity, we hear a lot from people as well about judgment, where, where people will say, well, I, I don't want to embrace a God of judgment. I only want a God of love and mercy and kindness, right? And uh, people that don't follow Jesus, they love to use the verse in Matthew chapter 7. You know, 7 verse 1. Judge not, lest ye be judged, right? The reality is, is that people want to use that verse to excuse a life to live however they want. With no accountability, without being disturbed, without being confronted, right? Before we dive into our text today, though, I want to share something that I read this week from a pastor, Tony Marita on the subject of judgment, because I feel like it's really important to kind of set this up and have you guys thinking about this before we really dive into our text. So Tony Morita, um, he wrote that the Christian view of judgment is, is nuanced, um, but it's important to understand this. And the first thing is this that he talked about, was that first, people in society are actually judging people all the time. Even people who say that we shouldn't have a view of judgment. So let me flesh that out. People are actually really judgmental. Like you, throughout the week, are inevitably judged by your clothes, by random people. You're judged by your looks. You're judged by your friend circle. You're judged by your hair. You're you're judged by your performance. Your 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 boss is judging your performance. You're judged by your grades. You're. You're judged by the way in which you may have decorated your house. You're judged by your bank account, your, you know, your your weight size. All manner of things in society are ultimately being judged by people in society all of the time. And so we, as Christians, we're not the only ones out there with a view of judgment, okay? Though some people in society like to live as if we are the only ones. So that's the first thing Tony Maria said. The second thing is this. The Bible's portrayal of judgment is actually good news. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that, but, but let me kind of flesh this out. The Bible's portrayal of judgment is good news. It's good news in the, the idea that the world, they need a just judge. The world needs a just judge. If you know anything about the brokenness and the injustice that happens in our world, and you've all seen it, like the idea that Jesus will have the last word is actually really good news. Right? There is no hope socially without judgment happening. You know, a few years back, I read this book by a pastor, his name was Scott Sauls, and he had this little excerpt on judgment that I've saved for, for, for literally years because I, I've loved how he framed this. And he says this, when the Bible's teaching about judgment is dismissed, all victims of injustice, violence, and oppression are actually put at risk. If God is a God of love without the accountability of justice, then vulnerable people become more vulnerable and bullies are encouraged to continue bullying. It is way too simple just to say that our God is a God of love and nothing else. If God decided to put his gavel down once and for all, don't we see that this would create so many more problems than it would solve? We would live in a world where the strong would eat the weak and the powerful and the cruel would only survive. For love to truly be loving, we need judgment. And if there is no judgment, there is no hope for a slave. There is no hope for somebody that's been abused. There is no hope for somebody that's been bullied. There are people who have been slandered or, or robbed or had their dignity stolen. If nobody is called to account before a cosmic judgment seat for violence or oppression, then the victims will never see justice. We need a God of Judgment and justice. We need a God who will protect his kids, who will once and for all remove the bullies and the perpetrators of evil at, from the playground. And the final thing that Tony Marita ends up saying about judgment is this. We need a judge because we need to know what constitutes a meaningful life. So in a world where judgment is, uh, excuse me, in a world without judgment, everything actually is meaningless. Like, think about this good is no different from evil if we don't have the authority and a judge. There is no basis for calling something right or wrong if we don't have a judge. We have no basis for deciding what is really truly worthy to pursue and what is not if we don't have a judge. If no one has authority to declare what our life is about, then who's to say that one practice or perspective of life is better than the other, right? You have to have a judge. And while we need a judge because the world is broken, we can't bear to stand judgment on our own. But the good news of the gospel is that if you believe in Jesus and repent, you have one who has taken your place at the cross. And now, if you are a believer, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now you have meaning and hope that he will make all things new. And judgment now becomes good news if you believe in Jesus. Because guess what? Your judgment day has been moved from the future to the past as a believer in Christ. So it's important to establish those things, and I want you guys to think about that before we dive into our text today. So in our message last week, we saw in verse 35 and 36 that Jesus, the light, was only going to be around for a little bit longer. We know that Jesus was going to die soon, and so while the light is here, Jesus wanted people to believe in him. Our passage today, this is, this is fascinating, but our passage today, it's actually the end of Jesus's public ministry in the Gospel of John. So this is the end of his three-year public ministry in this passage in the Gospel of John. And in verse 37 that we read, I, I would like to read that on the screen here. It says, though he had done many signs, they still did not believe in him. What must Jesus do more for them to believe for three years in his public ministry jesus had done seven major public signs in the gospel of john as we read so if you guys can remember this is what happened he turned water into wine okay he healed the official son he healed a man who was disabled for 38 years He ended up feeding the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. He walked on water. He healed the man born blind, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus has done all of these things before people, yet they still did not believe in him. When we think about this kind of unbelief coming from these Jewish people, I think it's really important to clarify what we mean by unbelief. You know, it's funny. um, A few months ago, my friend, um, a really good friend of mine, tricked another friend of mine and I in a a group text that he had purchased a fully loaded Model Y Tesla, like the newest one. And um, I I was, like, kind of convinced, and, like, he was – it kind of seemed legit. But then part of me was like, really? Like, did you really buy this? Like, um. I, I'm going to need, like, pictures, right? I, I'm going to need you to tell me and, and show me. And I, I need to see this with my own two eyes, though. Like, I need to go to your house to actually see that this is legit, right? It would have made it clearer for me if I would have seen it with my own eyes. But in this situation, my unbelief was a result of a lack of information and really a lack of investigation on my part, okay? That's not what's happening in this passage, though, with these Jews that are unbelieving. You see, there is a deliberate, a willful rejection going on of God. Danny Aiken, a, a pastor and, and commentator, he, he wrote that unbelief here is a conscious rejection of God. Okay, and in the Greek, this idea that they did not believe, in the Greek, it actually means persistent. So there is a persistent, conscious rejection of God that is going on in this passage. The evidence was laid out for these people. They saw the miracles of Jesus. But what happened? They rejected it. So so what is going on here? Like maybe you read this passage this morning and you're like, man, why, why are they rejecting him though if they're seeing those things. Well, John, what's neat is John really helps us understand why this rejection is taking place. So if you look in verse 38 of our text this morning, it says, So that the word spoken, this is why it's happening, So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom the, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So when we read the scriptures, this rejection actually shouldn't be as a, a surprise to us. Because it was actually predicted. This rejection was predicted. We actually read in the beginning of the book of John, in, in John chapter 1, verse 11, that, that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him, right? But also, John brings in a prophecy from Isaiah that predicted what this was going to happen. He predicted this rejection of Jesus. And so this is actually a fulfillment of that prophecy, the scripture that John is citing here comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. And Isaiah in this text is it's his astonishment of the nations rejecting the, the suffering servant of the Lord. You see, Jesus was experiencing the same kind of rejection as Isaiah had predicted here in John chapter 12. And we see that this prophecy from Isaiah 53 predicting that there would be many who would not believe in Jesus' words, and also it would reveal that the acts of God, so when he talks about the arm of the Lord, that means the acts of God, the acts, the miracles that Jesus did. So there is a deliberate conscious rejection of the word of God and the acts of God going on that Isaiah predicted. And what we learn in Isaiah chapter 53, is actually that it was necessary, though, for Jesus to come and die. Isaiah had predicted that, you know, the man of sorrows would come who would be despised and rejected, right? John is showing us here how the unbelief of the people was actually all a part of God's sovereign plan to have Jesus come and die and bring divine restoration, so let's continue reading in our passage. So verse 40 of John chapter 12 says this, Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their heart, their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So did we just read here that, that it was part of God's plan for the Jewish people to have unbelief and to persist in their rejection of Jesus, and then that God would come and harden their hearts and blind their eyes? a great question, and we're going to dive into that here in just a minute. But I'm not sure if you noticed this in verse 37 and verse 39. So verse 37, it says, they still did not believe in him. And then check out what it says in verse 39. It says, they could not believe. And why? Well, it says that he's blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their hearts. John is now referring to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Which states, make the heart of, make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So there was a prophecy in Isaiah that God would blind the eyes of the people. Isaiah, what's going on in in Isaiah chapter 6 is Isaiah had a vision from God. He had a vision of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. He saw the glory of the one, the suffering servant who was to come. You now, as all this is was I was kind of prepping this this week, my mind honestly just went to Romans chapter 1. You know, where it talks about how the unrighteous suppress the truth, right? The unrighteous they they suppress the truth and 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 what happens? Though they knew God, they didn't honor Him or give thanks to Him. And so what happened? God turns them over to their sin. A persistent rejection of the gospel does not make you more inclined towards the things of God. It makes your heart hard. It makes your heart hard. Those who persist in their unbelief in having a conscious rejection of God and His words, there is a warning here in this passage. The warning is that you are subject to judgment. And the form of judgment sometimes looks like God hardening people's hearts and blinding their eyes. Now, when we consider the character of our God, we know without a shadow of a doubt, though, that that our God is a patient God, is he not? Like he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is compassionate, he is gracious. You know, 2 Peter 3 tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Read through Scripture, and you will see over and over again that God is patient with his people. He's patient with the nations that continue to reject him over and over I mean, don't you see the patience of God as well in the fact that he hasn't judged the world yet in his final judgment? Right? What a patience from our God. I know that this is deep. This is heavy stuff. So hang with me. It is, it is one thing, though, to reject the words and the acts of Jesus. But the Jews here, excuse me, it's one thing to reject words, but the Jews here are rejecting miracles, like, they were, these miracles, like, they, they were legitimate, and it really left no room for excuse. One commentator said this, that, like, the juice the here, they had such irrefutable and powerful evidence, and they rejected it. So why in the world was that a part of God's plan to harden and blind eyes? See, we don't have full understanding of God's sovereignty and, and we really have no control over God's sovereignty, but we, we do have human responsibility to act upon in believing and receiving the words of Jesus, right? And, and, and in this case, too, seeing the acts of Jesus to believe. And John is showing us the warning here being fulfilled from Isaiah. There really is an urgency here of believing. We should not assume that if we don't believe now, that we will just believe down the road. I've heard that a lot in my life in sharing the gospel with different people. Man, I'll, I'll just follow Jesus when I'm older. I'll care about that religious stuff later. Anybody else heard that before? Right? There's a warning here. Don't play games with the gospel. Like, if you sense that God has been calling you and drawing you to himself, respond to him in faith. There's a warning here. Do not wait. See, God in his sovereignty here chose to harden hearts. And we may not know the purpose of everything that he does, but but we do get a, a small glimpse in this case as to why he did that. We actually learn in Acts chapter 28 that God is saving Gentiles and that he has a plan to save Gentiles, right? And in Romans chapter 11, verse 11, it says that it was By Israel's rejection, that salvation has actually come to the Gentiles. So even in his sovereignty, God is making something good out of this rejection. We can't comprehend all of this in our finite minds, like I said, but make no mistake. The Jewish people here, they persisted in their rejection. This was a rejection that happened over years and years, and they continued in their unbelief. They saw the miracles. They looked at Jesus and they said, No. They said, No, Jesus, no. I will not believe in you. Though he had done many signs, they still did not believe. These people, don't get it wrong here, these people chose evil. This was their choice. D.A. Carson says this, that this is a holy condemnation of guilty people who are condemned to do and to be what they have chosen. Choosing to reject Jesus over and over leads to condemnation of that rejection, right? This is, this is some scary news, to be honest, and I know that this is heavy. The persistent rejection leading to a hardening of heart and a blinding of eyes. A consistent saying no to Jesus. But let me just say this. Because our God is sovereign and because he is so incredibly patient with us, there should be an urgency, though, in our sharing of our faith, even if there has been rejection from that person before. We still have a responsibility to go and make disciples. We still have a responsibility. Jesus said, come follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of man. Right? Fisher of men. You know, Whitfield did not stop sharing his faith with Benjamin Franklin just because he didn't believe. I, I had a friend for, for years that I shared the gospel with. He, he never came to a saving faith, at least that, that I know of. It's the most loving thing for you to do to continue to share the good news. Will you be faithful to continue to share even when rejection happens? You know, I, I read a biography last year on missionary Adniram Judson, and I was just blown away by this. When he went to Burma, it took him six years before he even saw his first convert. Sharing the gospel for six years, before someone even came to know the Lord. See, what you can't do in this passage is use it as an excuse not to share re- the gospel. You can't resign yourself to the fact that just because God is heart because God is sovereign, and that and that He has the ability to 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 harden hearts and blind eyes, that that I just have no responsibility anymore, and that I'm just going to sit around and wait. That that's not what. That's not what we're supposed to do. To not evangelize is actually to disobey. Just because there is rejection from somebody, don't stop. I was really struck by this. Um, This past fall, I went to a conference with my brother in Kansas City at the seminary that I'm going to, and um, this pastor at this conference was was actually talking about that call to discipleship in Mark chapter 1, and he was talking about how Jesus says, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers, of men, Does anybody out here like to fish? A few of you guys? Yeah. So when we think about fishing, especially at this time, what, what, what happens when you go fishing? In, in, in these times that, that Jesus was calling his disciples, what would happen was there would be a big net that you would cast, right? And, and you would cast your net into the water and then you would pull it back. And oftentimes there would be this casting and mending that would take place, right? You would cast out, you'd pull it back in, you'd hope that there would be fish, and then you'd mend the net, and then you'd do it again, right? You'd cast, you cast, you cast. Well, I was just so struck at this conference because this pastor made this amazing point when he's talking about how Jesus was trying to establish, really in his disciples, the heart of evangelism. And he said this, just because you you don't catch a fish doesn't mean you stop casting, Right? Just because you don't catch something doesn't mean you stop casting. We continue to cast our nets. We continue to share the gospel. We continue to to spread those seeds. And, And we pray that the Holy Spirit lights their hearts on fire. We pray that God draws them to himself. So we continue to cast and cast and cast. And we pray and leave the results up to God, right? Just because somebody rejected you, do not stop casting your net. I was brought back this week in my prep as well to what Dan preached last month on evangelism. And that quote that he shared by the atheist uh, uh, Penn He he said this. I don't know if you guys remember this from that video he shared. He said this, though. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever— and you think that that's not really worth telling them because you would, it would kind of make you feel like a little bit socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I was so struck by that, and I'd heard that quote several years ago, but man, Hebrews chapter 3, it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. John is telling us that there is a warning for those who persist in unbelief. And I love, though, how this passage transitions, because it has been a heavy one. But John actually ends up showing us the radiance of the Son of God. In verse 41, it says this, Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory, and he spoke about him. See, Isaiah had this vision of the glory of God. He had this vision that was of the glory of God, which is ultimately of the glory of Christ. And the same passage that John quoted from Isaiah 6 earlier is the same passage that talks about this vision that Isaiah had of the glory of God, which is the glory of Christ. Isaiah could not unsee it after he saw the glory of Christ, and it compelled him the rest of his life. This vision that he had came from Isaiah chapter 6, and it said this, I saw the Lord, this is the vision, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the, tra- and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of... Of his glory, John ends up telling us here that, that Isaiah said what he said because he saw the glory of God. The glory that Isaiah saw of God is the glory of Christ. In this passage, Isaiah saw Jesus as the future judge, but also Jesus, the one that is full of radiance and beauty. You know that word glory can often be translated to weight or heaviness. And and what Isaiah saw was the authority of Jesus sitting on that throne. The authority of Jesus, the majesty of who he is. He got a glimpse as to how glorious and majestic and beautiful he is. This is the Jesus that the Jewish people are rejecting. That Jesus with this kind of authority. I don't know if you've seen in the book of John, but Jesus has been revealing himself Over and over in the book of John, he has said that he was the word who was with God and the word who was God. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the lamb of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is our true vine. And our Christ is that glorious. Amen? He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be revered. He is worthy to have all the authority to be able to speak into our life. And Isaiah saw that glory. And John is telling us in this book that Jesus is the one who is being rejected. You see, guys, Jesus is not just a man. Jesus isn't just a prophet. He isn't just a good moral teacher. Do you see his radiance and his glory? What else did he have to do? They saw the miracles. They saw who he was, and they still rejected him. And after getting a glimpse of that glory, we learn that some of the Jewish authorities actually had a superficial faith, but they were scared of the Pharisees, and they were more worried about the praise of men than the glory of God. Jesus says, if you are... Ashamed to confess me before men, I will be ashamed of you. They were more worried about the glory that came from man rather than the glory of God. Romans 1.16 tells us that I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Isaiah saw this glory, and he couldn't shake it. These men rejected Jesus because they were so much more captivated by the glory of man rather than the glory of Christ. Maybe some of you guys today Find yourself in this place where you are more worried about your family, you are more worried about your neighbors, you are more worried about your coworkers and what they think of you in your faith walk. You are more worried about the praise of men rather than the glory of God. Can I appeal to you today that the approval of man is not something that you can take with you into eternity? Can I appeal to you today that what does it gain, a whole man, what does it gain a man if he, he gains the entire world, but he loses his soul? Right? <laughs> and what's amazing as we are wrapping up this morning in verse 44, Jesus ends up crying out with one last plea to his people in his final public ministry setting. He cries out before his people before he's about to be ripped to shreds. Verses 40 through, for, 44 through 50, this is Jesus' last conversation, really, last warning to his people before he were to die. And he says this in verse 44. He says, I want you to remember these things. One last time, believe in me, verse 44. Verse 46, he says, I'm the light of the world. Verse 47, he says, whoever keeps my word is saved. In verse 50, it says, finally, Jesus saying these words and commands that are from the Father— These things are a matter of eternal life. This is really Jesus' last plea. And this ends the public ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of John. You see, guys, he tells us these things because he loves us. and He wants us to believe. I hope that you still see the compassion of our God, the patience of our God, even in the midst of this heavy conversation this morning. Because here's the thing. Eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake here. Jesus is saying these things. John is saying these things because he loves us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants us to turn in repentance. So I ask you this morning as we close, do you believe... Don't play games with God. If God is calling you today, respond to the gospel. He's so patient and desires that no one should perish but have everlasting life. Turn in faith to Christ and repent of your sin, turning away from your sin. And for those of you that do believe this morning, may this lead us to a greater urgency to share the gospel. Keep casting your net. Let God do the work. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word, the power that is your word. Thank you for your spirit that convicts us and illuminates our eyes and helps us see, Lord, where we've fallen short, where we need to change. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, even for these hard-hitting words, Lord. I, I see your love, I see your compassion in all of it, God, and Lord, I just desperately want to see every single person in this room just come to know Jesus as their Savior. Just even in the quietness of this moment, if if maybe today God is calling you to come and turn from your sin and ter- turn towards Christ in faith, if, if you would like me to pray for you this morning, would you just catch my eye here this morning? you'd like to come to know Christ as your Savior, would you cr- just catch my eye? Thank you. Maybe even for those that are believers here this morning, maybe God convicted you because there's been that somebody in your life that you've shared the gospel with over and over and over again, and, and they've rejected, and, and maybe... And just maybe God's telling you this morning, don't, don't give up. Don't stop casting that net. If that's you in this room, would, would you just slip your hands to say, Josh, I would, I would love some prayer for those people. Thank you, guys. Keep casting those nets. Lord, thank you for your word. Again, Lord, we just pray that you take this, plant it deep within us, Lord. We love you. Lord, you are worthy to be praised. Continue to build your church, Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's respond in worship.